we hope we do survive, man. And uh, tell my kids I love them if I don't. But uh, no, it is good. I'm looking forward to that. And I have been in some places. I Before we went to Haiti, turn the Bibles to John chapter 19. Before we went to Haiti, I was about, um, I think, seven or eight years ago, we went to Haiti. Pastor Noon and I, Brother Matt, Keyless, his stepbrother, uh, we all went to Haiti there. And, uh, and not just, you know, we went, we went to the heart of Haiti. And uh, the area we were in was 90, 90% unemployed. And uh, it was just an unbelievable area of Haiti. And, uh, but the week before we left, Brother Matt, who's our missions director, he came to me and he said, he said, now I'm not trying to freak you out or anything, but uh, he said, I just read this article yesterday, and it literally said the most dangerous place in the Western Hemisphere is outside of the airport in Port-au-Prince, Haiti. And I said, well, thank you for the encouragement, you know. I'm like, and so here's what I did. I said, and I pick up languages pretty, you know, uh, fairly easy. Um, when I'm around it, I it can immerse myself in it. I can usually mimic, I think it's because of the music, I can mimic most you know, accents, and uh, I was, I've been to the Philippines before as well, um, about 10 years ago or so, and so I learned a few words while I was there, and, and other places, I've, I've learned, uh, I learned how to speak Canadian when I was up there, and uh, you just got to say A every fourth word, and uh, then you can speak Canadian, but uh, I said, well, they speak French Creole, and it's a kind of a mixed language there. And uh, so I, I told him, I said, listen, I'm just, I'm just going to learn one phrase in Creole. That's it. It'll save my whole trip. I said, because if something goes down, I just need to learn how to say I'm not with these white guys. So, <laughs> so I figured if I could say that, amen. And it was unique in Haiti. They called this, this little boy we found. And the little boy, I mean, he was my complexion. You know, I'm not, I'm not very dark, you know. I'm, you know, I'm not, you know like dark chocolate, I'm more like, you know, mocha chocolate or something around that, you know, toasted almond or something, but, uh, but, uh, but I, I'm not very dark, but some of the Haitian people, I mean, I mean, if you walk down the street at night, you better hope they smile because you won't be able to see them, but uh, they called this little boy, he was sa- he was same color as me, and they looked at this little boy, and they called him, I, I kept on noticing, they kept calling him Petit Blanc, and I'm like, what does that mean, and so finally I asked one of the kids, I said, what does that mean? He said, that means a little white boy. And I'm thinking, they think somebody my color is white. Like, good night. They must have thought Pastor Noonan was a ghost. But uh, <laughs> we did scare them, though. They're, they're, of course, they're, they're, they're all superstitious people. And how many grew up with superstitions? Yeah, how many ever heard of uh, step on a crack? Break your mama's back. Amen. Preacher said break your back. Huh? And, uh, uh, but step on the crack. We, we had such superstitions growing up. We couldn't, if we pointed at a graveyard, you had to bite your finger so you didn't get haunted. That was the rule. And uh, if, you, if you swept somebody's foot with a broom, that meant they were going to go to jail. Or, and if you wanted to take that away, they had to spit on the broom. Or if you, had to, if you saw a dead uh, bird on the side of the road, you'd have to spit on it and say, not on my mama's table. And uh, somebody the other day said, a lot of your stuff had to do with spitting. I was like, I guess so. <laughs> but the Haitian people, they're so superstitious because of the voodoo religion. And Pastor Noonan, though, he traveled with Neighborhood Bible Time uh, back in the days of Dr. Holmesher. And so he had all these magic tricks that he does. And he has one that he explains the gospel with. And it's, it's you know, you take your sin, and it's a black cloth. And uh, I won't tell you the secret to it, but he's got a black cloth there, and he puts, it, he puts the black cloth you know, around his hand and tucks it into the hole there. And then he takes the blood of Jesus Christ, 
and he, he puts it down there, and then he puts the sin inside of the blood of Jesus Christ. According to the blood of Jesus Christ, the Bible says, cleanses us from all sin. And so he'll put that one in there, and he'll put the blood in there, and then he'll open it up, and the sin is gone, and only the blood is left. Those people freaked out <laughs> when he did that illustration. And uh, it's like that one line in Pocahontas, these white men are evil. <laughs> and, uh, but that's, that's written in the front of my Bible, by the way. But anyways, um, I'm, I'm sorry, Pastor. It's... Well, this is my first and last time at the church here, so... Um, but uh, what's that? No, I don't want to know what he said. Um, but uh, they were freaking out. And so anyways, I won't do any magic tricks this week. John chapter 19, if you'll stand with me. Verse number 17. I have only done this one time ever. One time ever. I preached a course on the cross this morning. And uh, about this is the day that the Lord hath made. And I'm going to do all. I've only done it one time ever. I'm going to preach on the cross tonight again. Completely different angle, but I'm going to preach on the cross. This is Cross Sunday, okay? And hopefully you remember that. The Bible says in verse number 17, if you have it with me, John chapter 19, verse 17, and he bearing his cross went forth into the place, uh, into a, a place called the place of a skull, which is in the Hebrew Golgotha. That's amazing uh, when you consider Golgotha's hill. And, and by the way, I'm supposed to, in a few months, have you been to Israel? You have not, okay? In about, uh, in October. November, I should be in Israel. I was supposed to go last November, then Omicron happened, and uh, seven people in their country of 11 million had it, and so, you know, we had to shut it down. <laughs> but, uh, and, uh, but I'm supposed to go this year, and the Lord knows. God, God knew all that was going down. And so I'm excited this year about uh, getting over there and get to see Golgotha. And most people tell me it's not like what you think it looks like. And uh, they said there's like where they think it is, there's like a, a bus stop on the top of the hill now. And it's not like what you would think, but I couldn't imagine what Golgotha must have been like in 33 A.D. at the time of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says they went up to this place called Golgotha, we call it Calvary, where they crucified him and two other with him on either side, one and Jesus in the midst. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. And the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. How many ever saw, if you're like me growing up, you ever saw that scene and maybe had a, a, a kid's Bible like I had that had the Noah's Ark on the front of it? Anybody ever have that one? And uh, I had that one probably from three years old. I think my mom still has it somewhere. And it's like gray, almost all gray, and it's got the rainbow in there. And, the, and, the, and, uh, and I remember uh, seeing that thing when I was a kid. But remember, remember there's a scene in there at the cross and it has I-N-R-I. And I'm like, what in the world does that mean? You ever thought about that? I'm thinking, I don't think Enri is a word. <laughs> and uh, it actually means Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus, Nazareth, King, Rey of the Jews or Israel. And that's where they get that from, Jesus. Uh, and of course, in, in, in Arabic, it could be Isa. Uh, and similar to that in the Hebrew language there, or the Aramaic language there, uh, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, or King of Israel, is what that stands for. See, you learned something in church today, didn't you? And, uh, but that's what they said, King of the Jews. And this title read many of the Jews, and I mentioned this a little bit about this this morning, for the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city. And it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. That's where the Latin comes in, by the way, the I, uh, uh, I-N-R-I. 
And the Bible says, Then said the chief priests of the Jews to Pilate, Write not the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am the king of the Jews. And boy, that must have ticked those Jews off. For them to acknowledge that he is something that they claim that he's not. And Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. I like, I like that about God, too. What he's written, he's written. And the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, here we are, took his garments and made four parts to every soldier apart. And his coat, and also his coat, excuse me, now the coat was without seam woven from the top throughout. You got to understand, there's four soldiers here. They begin to part his garments. The Bible says each one of them gets their part, but they come to the place with this one particular coat that has no seam in it. Now, if you were to look at my coat tonight, uh, my suit coat, is it all right if I take this off? Good, because I just need an excuse to get out of this. And uh, my church, they have a bet on how long I will take, I will, it will take me to take my suit coat off. But if you were to look on the inside of this, you would notice there's a seam right in the middle. And if they needed to adjust this, they would take, undo this seam, and then they would make it, and, and usually it's, you know, letting it out, not in. And uh, pray for me, I'm growing in grace. <laughs> and they would take it, and they would adjust it based upon this seam here. Same thing with your pants. There's a seam that goes up the backside of your pants. When they want to let it in or take it out, in my case, uh, they're going to go on the seam, and they're going to cut the threads that hold it together, and they're going to tear it apart. If you were to be able to uh, adjust this jacket, you could take the sleeves off if you needed to. You can go on the inside there and, and pop that thing inside out, and, and you can start adjusting things inside of there. There's seams all over this thing. But this particular coat that the Lord Jesus Christ had, it was a seamless coat. And by the way, that was one of, 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 of expense to get, a, to get something that size. There's, there's one verse, and maybe you can figure this out with me this week. There's one character in the Bible who shows up one time, and it's at the Garden of Gethsemane. And they're running away, and they catch this young man who has a, a, a linen, a white linen garment on. It's the only thing he's wearing as far as we know, and it was without seam as well. Well, culturally, that meant that it was an expensive thing. It was somebody of, 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 of some money, of some means. And they come to this code of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they say to themselves, in verse 24, they say among themselves, let us not rend it. They said, let's not tear it. It's not easily torn apart, but let's not tear it apart. Let's, let's see what we can do with this. But cast lots for it. Whose it shall be that the scripture might be fulfilled. Now, they weren't doing this. They didn't know the scripture. These were Roman soldiers as far as we can tell. But the Bible already predicted this. They parted my raiments among them. And for my, for my vesture, they did cast lots. So, Brother Allen, where is that in the scripture? That's Psalm, again, Psalm 22. We looked at Psalm 22 this morning. Predicted. They're going to they're gonna gamble for the garment of the Messiah. The Bible says, These things, therefore, the soldiers did. All that we described this morning, all that Jesus Christ went through on his way to the cross, and now here he is on the cross. They have nailed his hands and his feet 
It's now been fulfilled. Isaiah said his visage was so marred that you couldn't even tell he was a man. He is a bleeding mess of a broken human being on that cross. Could you imagine the the brevity, the, the sobriety in that moment right there for everybody around them? I mean, even if you hated the Lord Jesus Christ, you couldn't, you couldn't deny how dramatic of a scene that must have been. Even if you were not a fan of his or a casual observer of his, it couldn't deny the enormity of that very moment in their lives and say, man, this is something big happening right here. And yet these soldiers, in the midst of all this drama and turmoil, are shooting dice, if you will, for the Lord Jesus Christ's garment. With the help of God tonight, I want to preach to you this subject, when the cross becomes a game. When the cross becomes a game. Father, we thank you for your goodness. And Lord, I pray that you would give us an attitude tonight, not of apathy, but of sobriety in the things of God. And Lord, I pray that you would help me to convey this message, a very simple, very straightforward message in a way that your people would be blessed and challenged tonight. Lord, I don't know who's sitting under the sound of my voice. I don't know if they're on fire for the Lord. I don't know if they're cold and distant from you. There may be somebody here tonight that does not know Jesus Christ as their own personal Lord and Savior. Lord, for every need that is in this building tonight, I pray that you would help it to be met by your grace. Father, I pray that you would call the sinner unto yourself And call the saved man to duty in the Lord Jesus Christ. They sang it tonight. It's time. It's not time to sit down and lay our armor down. It's not time to get out of the fight. It's time to recharge and get back in to the battle for the things of God. So tonight, I pray that you'd help us from the scriptures. That the cross would not be a game to us by the end of our meeting here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated. As I travel this nation and... I've been traveling for years now, of course, in evangelism for full time and for the last six years. And, and I started in 2016, March of 2016. I went into full time evangelism. March 19th, I believe, was my last Sunday as a member of the staff of Faith Baptist Church in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And I've traveled this country, but I was traveling before that as well. I traveled with my quartet. We sang a lot locally in our area and and uh, now that I've been to evangelism, we, we've traveled even uh, up into Canada every year. Uh, we have a revival up there that we've done. We've not been there the last couple of years, uh, thanks to uh, the Wuhan virus. And uh, no, but uh, thanks to COVID, we have not been able to cross over the border. I finally got there after two and a half years of not being there. But I've been traveling a long time. Matter of fact, I traveled on a tour group when I was in Bible college in Texas Baptist College. And, and uh, I traveled with a tour group. And actually, some of the fellows I preach for today are guys I sung in their church uh, the last year, I preached for two of them that I went to their churches in Michigan and, and Missouri uh, when I was in a tour group over 20 years ago, year 2000, summer 2000. And uh, I know I'm old, amen. And uh, all the older people in the church, they always make fun of me after church. You're not that old. I say, oh, thank you. And uh, I appreciate you, but I'm old. And uh, yeah, just ask a teenager, 40 is over the hill. Listen, I've got one foot in the grave and the other one on a banana peel, okay? Yeah, I'm getting old. But we understand this. I, as I travel the country, I get this question often. As a matter of fact, somebody even asked me this question this week. Brother Allen, what do you see 
as you're traveling the churches. Last year, I think I was in right at 40 different meetings. Most weeks of the world, I'm traveling somewhere, but 40 distinct meetings. Sometimes I'll take a complete month off. My family, one year we took July off and just, you know, to hang around the house and did some things and some activities with the boys and went on vacation. I think that's important, by the way. If you don't like it, well, don't support me. And uh, you don't already. <laughs> like, like, we weren't planning on it either. Well, good. Now we're, we're on the same page. But they ask me all the time, Brother Allen, what do you see? You're in 40 meetings just about every year. Sometimes multiple times a week I'm in churches. That's not even counting some of the times that I go and sing with my quartet that we're not, we're, I'm not preaching anywhere, but I go and sing. And they always ask me, Brother Allen, what do you see in the churches? What is it like out there? What are you noticing amongst God's people? What are some of the trends that you're seeing amongst God's people? And, and if I could say this and be kind to you because I don't know your church yet, I think for a lot of those churches, we've gotten to the point where it's just a game. It's just a game. Isn't it sad that these men got to the point of their lives where the blood-spattered ground of Calvary became nothing more than just kind of a game. It was just kind of something they walked through like they did so many other times before. This is no different than the last guy they crucified. This Sunday is no different from the next. Uh, we, we, we wake up, we do this, we go that, we go back home, we see it. And it became to the point where it was nothing. All the gore and all the, all the, all the, uh, uh, the heartache of this moment was lost on the fact that we had gotten to the place where it was nothing more than a bunch of cast lots, a bunch of dice shooting in the presence of Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you, as I travel this land, there seems to be a spirit of apathy that has settled in to God's people. And we no longer burn with a hot passion for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm not saying your church. I'm just saying what I've seen in many places. And by the way, there are some great things happening in some great places. And man, I go to certain places and man, you get fired up and you want to go on for God. But I'm going to tell you as a whole, even though it's not that they're anti-church. It's not that they're against Jesus Christ. It's not even that they're anti-revival. It's just not that serious to them. Much like the old saying where the average preacher preaches a sermonette for the Christianettes who smokes their cigarettes, dressed like a majorette. And I'm telling you, we get into the place where it's just a game. We're just biding our time. It's not very serious, is it? It's not very serious. And I see it in, and I see it in our homes, and I'm thinking. Man, parents, don't you understand how serious this is right now? Don't you, don't you see that your son's about to go off the cliff? Don't you see that your daughter, listen, she's headed for some trouble? Don't you see that your marriage is headed for some trouble? Don't you see, as we, listen to me, I, I put it on social media last night, and if you don't like it, you can lump it any way you want to. But I'm telling you, I, I, I'm headed up to here with Christianity that all we do is complain and complain and complain. We say, look at the world and look at Chaz and look at what's going on in the inner city. They, they had a basketball game the other day in the, in the Bucks. We call it the Deer District downtown. And if you're a basketball fan, you probably heard about it. Even if you're not, you might have heard about it. 20 people shot after the Bucks game. I'm talking about within like a 10 block radius, 20 people shot. 
And here's what we do as Christians. We look at the news and we say, oh, this is terrible. Oh, this is horrible. Oh, this is this and this and this. Oh, did you see what the stupid thing the president said last? And you see what that president said last? And this guy's an idiot. This guy's a buffoon. This guy's going to get us in World War III. This guy doesn't even know what World War I was. I'm telling you, we complain and we complain and we complain, and yet we do nothing more than shut it down like we ended a Monopoly game at the end of the night. There's no urgency amongst God's people. There's no desire, there's no hunger, there's no thirst, there's no passion in us again. And what did God, God will send a spirit of revival in us and that there's an urgency again, that it's not just a game, this is serious business, the work of God, listen, it needs to go forward and we've got to wake up. We've got to wake up. I'm going to be honest with you, there, there are some times, I hate when people say that by the way, I'm going to be honest with you, I was like, were you lying to me before? I hate that, and then I just said it. <laughs> Oftentimes, I've, I've, I've sat back, and I've wondered. I've scratched my head, and I'm thinking, why did this church even invite me here? I mean, the services are dead, and we're like, oh, this is such a wonderful service. And I'm thinking, for who? There's, there's no tears. There's been no repentance. Nobody's getting saved. Nobody's getting challenged. Nobody's heart is on fire for God. Nobody's even excited. Nobody's even, I mean, if you can't get mad, at least get glad. There's no joy there. It's just punching our spiritual time clock and get in and get out. Is that what your heart's like tonight? And by the way, I've been there myself. Where church becomes a game. I, I've sat there in church, said it's a little too transparent for me. Well, I don't know how else to be. I've sat there in church thinking, I, I don't care what he preaches, I'm not coming down. I sat there with my friends and joked and wrote little notes. And I've even gotten to the place myself where I thought, man, when's this guy gonna be done? That, that was you 10 minutes ago, wasn't it? When's this guy gonna get done? I've even walked up to the preacher afterwards and said, oh, that was a good message. Knowing I didn't listen to anything he said. Knowing I didn't plan on changing anything in my life. That's called a game. And we're so busy many times trying to impress each other. And we're so busy trying to keep our status in the church. And we're so busy just punching that spiritual time clock at another Sunday. It's all just a show. And I pray tonight that God will give us a spirit of revival. Where we're not just having a revival meeting, but we have been revived. The average Christian tonight, though, if I asked them what revival is, they couldn't give me a good definition of it. The word revive means to bring back to life again. If you were to fall out into the church service tonight and need mouth-to-mouth, -mouth, preacher, you'd be dead because I ain't going over there touching you. <laughs> I'd say, Mrs. Preacher, wherever you at, he needs some help. <laughs> at least put some Carmex on him first. I'm sorry. I just, <laughs> forgive me. I say things that, you know, 
But if he were to fall out in this church service tonight, he would have to be revived. You know, at the average church, we, don't, we won't even admit that we're dead, let alone seek revival. And I'm telling you. I think sometimes when I preach places, I think the people, they, they, they want to say amen enough so they think, I don't think it's them that need the preaching. I'm telling you, you've probably been there too. And you're the very yard bird I'm talking about. Say, so how do you know that? Because I used to be that guy. I was in Bible college one time, and they were ripping me to shreds. I had a guy, I was, I was supposed to be in, I was, I was in this meeting, and they thought I wasn't there. And the guy starts ripping me. I'm talking about just calling me by name, ripping me. And I was like four rows back. And I literally, I just stood up, and I was like, yeah, man. And he was like, uh-oh. <laughs> Oh, no. I've been there where I'm trying to impress the guest preacher. You know what that's called? That's a game. And we're definitely not going to walk the altar because that would mean we need help. Can I just admit to you, I need help. Can we just get that out of the way this week? We all need the help of God. It's not just a game to me. I've said this time and time again. I, I believe in what I'm doing, evangelism. I'm more of a revivalist than an evangelist. If you understand the difference between the two, I don't hold crusades and things like that. I, not that I'm against it. And, and I, the Lord has opened opportunities for me to preach the gospel in some incredible ways. But this isn't, this isn't a game to me. If it's a game, then I'm the stupidest guy in the world to fly over here, leave my wife over there, leave my boys who are 15, 12, and 9 in the formidable ages of their lives and come over here and play a game with you this week. I didn't come here to play tiddlywinks with the church. I came here to see God do something. And so when I preach this week, I want you to understand that I'm not, I, I didn't come over here to impress you with my homiletical skills. I didn't come over here to impress you with my knowledge of the Bible. I didn't come over here to, to impress you definitely with my singing or playing this week. I came over here that God might do a work in the midst of us. And I want us to look at this cross tonight in a different way than we've ever looked at it. I want you to understand something about the cross tonight. According to this passage right here, the cross tonight is more than a game. I want you to notice that number one, it is a sobering place. It is a sobering place. When we come to this scene tonight, and listen, if there's ever a day that we needed sober Christians, it's tonight. I remember when, when I got saved, this song was very popular amongst Christian people. Run if you want to, run if you will, because I come here to stay. If I fall down, I'm going to get right up. I didn't start out to play. It's a battlefield, brother, not a recreation room. It's a fight and not a game. So run if you want to, run if you will, but I came here to stay. Anybody ever heard that song before? 
That was the anthem of Christians back in the mid-90s when I got saved and even the late 80s. It was, a, it was the anthem of their song. It was saying, listen, this is not a game. This is a sobering thing. And when we look at the world and the way that the world is going, listen, it ought to sober us up a little bit. There are men, women, and boys and girls whose lives are in the balance, and they need the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you and I, as the Christian people who name the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, if we won't take Jesus seriously, how do we expect them to take him seriously? There are some of you that may go to public school in this room here tonight, and if they don't have somebody in their life who is serious about God, how in the world will they ever have any hope? I remember going to school. There was such a diverse group in our school. It was, un, it was unreal how many diverse kids. And I got, I got saved when I was in the sixth grade. Somebody showed me I was a sinner. I was on my way to hell. That Jesus Christ and his cross was the answer. And I got saved in my sixth grade year. That may mean nothing to you, but I was already kicked out of one school in third grade. And I was on my way to getting kicked out of the school I was in in the fifth grade. They got so tired of me in class. They would send me down. First, they sent me down to the principal's office. Dr. Nulichek, and then he changed principals, and he got sick of me. And uh, they, we got another principal. She scared me because she only had four fingers on one hand. She scared me. And she rode a Harley to school in the morning. People that ride Harleys make me nervous. Just kidding. And, uh, no. Sorry, Pastor. And uh, she scared me something fierce. It sobered me up for a little while. But then I start getting in trouble again. She got sick of me. She started sending me to the vice principal's office, Mrs. Young. She finally got sick of me, and they sent me to the school psychologist's office. And they just shuffled me around, shuffled me around. Finally, they just set up a desk in the library of the school next to the psychologist's office, and they would just send me my work. They didn't even teach me school. They just sent me my work down there. And I was a smart kid, but I was half demon-possessed. <laughs> I'm only joking a little bit. They had, matter of fact, I'd gone to this school. They put me in a pro, cause a program for the academically talented. I could memorize things. I could look at that. I could memorize it. I didn't have character to do my homework, but you could put a test in front of me and I'd get 100% on it. So they just sent me my work. They said, he'll figure it out. And I did figure it out. But I got saved during that sixth grade year. I have time to go into the background. I may share a little bit more of that background as the week goes by here. God began to work in my heart and life. God began to do some things, and, and by the way, my wife's church, if your phone goes off during church, you have to buy the preacher a pizza. <laughs> I'll settle for Chipotle. And uh, burrito bowl, white rice, beet, no, I was kidding. And, uh, God began to work in my life. Before that, I, did, I didn't care about anything. I'm talking, we'd, we'd fight, we'd cuss. We, we didn't care. We drank. I always tell people when I give my testimony, the last time I ever took a drink of alcohol, not the first, the last time I took a drink of alcohol, I believe I was 11 years old. That was the last time. God began to work in my life, and I remember going from that sixth grade. We all graduated sixth grade together. In my sixth grade, listen to this. Here's what was in my sixth grade. I had a man whose dad was a, a Serbian Orthodox priest in that class. We had a girl, Kaula. Her dad was a Muslim preacher. I'm talking about Nation of Islam, black power Muslim preacher. 
We had the entire gamut of the spirit. We had one guy, Carino, his, his, his parents were into Indian spiritism. We had one fellow who was Hmong. He was part of the Hmong Alliance Church. And all these different religions are in here. Then all of a sudden, they can't, I, God saved me, though. They had Hindu and Muslim. And all of a sudden, I graduated sixth grade together with them. We went to seventh grade together. But by the time I got back to seventh grade, after a summer of preaching and Bible camp, that was when I went to Camp Chatech that year, a Bible camp and preaching and youth conferences, I came back my seventh grade year, and I had a King James Bible on my stack of books and some gospel tracts in my hand. And they were like, what in the world happened to him? Years later, we got together at a, at, a, at a Mexican restaurant. Somebody say amen right there. And uh, we got together at a Mexican restaurant, and the girl who stood behind me in class every day, and every time her last name started with an A as well, and she was behind me in every line, every desk she was near me, and she just stood there shaking her head, shaking her head. And I said, what is wrong with you, Amanda? She said, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I said, what can't you believe? And here's what she said. This is her words. She said, the demon child has become a preacher. I'd be in class, in homeroom, I'd hand out gospel tracts. Years later, I was talking to the fellow right now who is our deacon. He's a chairman of our deacon board. He actually is the new baritone in my quartet. I was talking to him and his wife. They had just come to our church. They were a new couple, no kids. And he was getting ready to become a firefighter. And I was talking to him, and, and I said, I said, her, uh, I said, where'd you guys grow up? And they started telling me the story. And his wife was like, yeah, I went to Hamilton High School. I was like, Hamilton? I said, everybody who I went to school with went from Manitoba to Audubon to Hamilton. She said, I went to Audubon, too. And I said, oh, my goodness, I said, how old are you? And she was two years older than I was. And her husband looks at her and he says, maybe he went to school with your, with your sister. And I said, what's her name? He said, her name's Summer. And I said, oh, Summer, and I gave her last name. And she was like, that's my sister. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. I said, I just thought she had the coolest name in the class. She talked to her sister, and here's what she remembered. She would remember the young boy who took Jesus very seriously. And I'd walk into class in homeroom, not every day, but about once a week, I'd give them all a gospel track. I taped it to my locker. I, I, the old track that used to say the look of today, the look of tomorrow, and the look of the future. The look of today had a beautiful woman, and she was a picture right there. The look of tomorrow had her like, you know, like either, it, was, it wasn't a cat, it was like bones or a skeleton or something. And then the look of the future had her in the flames of hell. I thought, man, that's an aggressive gospel track. But I taped it right to my locker right there. One just said hell on the front of it. It had people burning. There's a sweet, sweet spirit in that place. But you know what? I didn't care. Now, I wouldn't necessarily do all that stuff the same way, but here's what it was. I took Jesus very seriously because he took me pretty seriously on the cross. And I'm going to tell you, young people, we need a generation of a serious-minded young people. This world is telling you you're nothing more than a silly little kid. Listen to me. You're, you're way more than a silly little kid. You ought to be somebody that's very serious about Jesus Christ. And you can tell them, listen, I enjoy life. It doesn't take you very long to figure out that Brother Allen enjoys laughing. I enjoy life. I, listen, I will laugh at my own expense. I will laugh at your expense. I will laugh at everybody's expense right there. But I mean, I'm just telling you today, but when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ and when it comes to making the cross a part of my life, I want to be very serious about the cross Amen. of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Your young people that you spend your time with, they don't need you to become a famous TikToker. They need you to become a serious Jesus lover. They don't need you to be an influencer. They need you to influence them for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, we've got to have a serious-minded people again. Go to churches sometimes, you see a husband and a wife, and you can tell something's wrong. Lives are about to be wrecked and ruined. Their marriage is about to be ruined. And the man sits there like a little bump on a log and doesn't respond or arrogantly sits there as if he doesn't need anything. And I'm thinking, man, do you understand how serious this is? This is destruction or life. In many cases, it's heaven or hell. Do you take it seriously? Or is it nothing more than just a game to us? It's a serious place. Maybe you're sitting here tonight and you've been kind of ho-hum about the Christian life. Listen, you're, you, you are in the hotbed of spiritual warfare in this area. I'm just telling you, you can just drive down the street and you, you can just see it and you can sense it. We don't need a bunch of half-hearted Christians. We need a bunch of committed, serious-minded people. The Bible says be sober and be vigilant, Second Peter told us, because your adversary, the devil, he walketh about as a roaring lion seeking whom he might devour. Some of you are in a fight and you don't even realize it because you're not paying very much attention. And this is why we allow some of the things that we allow in our home. Hello? Because we don't really believe we're in a fight. And if some of you believe in the devil, you sure don't act like it because he is kicking your teeth. I'm telling you, he'll get into your marriage, he'll get into your parenting, he'll get into your life, he'll get into the music you listen to, he'll get into the places you go, the parties that you go in. If there's ever a time where you've got to get serious about the things of God, it's right now. I said the cross is a serious place. It's a sobering place. Not only that tonight, I want you to see this. The cross is a sacrificial place. It's a sacrificial place. You remember this morning we talked about that lamb and they talked about in Psalm chapter 118 about tying that lamb to the altar there. It is a sacrificial place. Can I put it this way? Jesus laid it all on the line for us and we ought to come to his cross tonight and begin to lay it all on the line for Jesus Christ. Yet the average church member today, we're kind of half-hearted in a lot of what we do, aren't we? Man, I go to these other countries, and I'm telling you, you hear these people, in these, you've been there, these foreign countries, listen to these people sing and worship God. I'll never forget my pastor talking about, before I had ever left the country, I remember my pastor talking about him going to India. And here he is on a leper colony in India. I'm talking about people tonight that had lost their fingers. Some of them, their facial features had rotted off of their body and they had no hands. Some of them were missing feet. Some of them were missing tongues. Some of them were missing lips. But when they began to worship God, they began to sing praises and they would clap their stumps together and they would rejoice in the Lord and they would get excited about the things of God. Yet we sit here in our air-conditioned building and our cushioned seats and we don't let out a holy grunt for the Lord. I'll never forget it, man. God broke my heart one time. We were in that trip to Haiti, and I remember we're sitting here, and we go from classroom to classroom in this school. Like I said, that area was 90% unemployment. It was unbelievable poverty. 
I'm talking about these guys would have given their right arm for a thatch hut in Africa. It's unreal. This one little girl that was in the, they had a little orphanage there. I don't even know how they were able to take care of anything. But they had a little orphanage there. And one little girl, she had, she had gotten hit by a branch on her eye. But they were so poor and destitute that she literally almost lost her eyeball when all she needed was a few sterile drops in there. And I remember going classroom to classroom. And I remember looking at this little boy. Oh, my soul, I can still see this little boy's face. I remember going into that classroom that day and pastor was doing his illustrations and he was doing his neighborhood Bible time stuff. And and I'm looking through the crowd and I just locked onto this one little boy. This little boy looked so much like my son, Dylan. I'm going to tell it it, it just I I literally I mean, it'll bring tears in my eyes right now. I literally had to step out of the out of the classroom that day and just weep. This little boy had a smile on his face. He was listening. He was singing. He didn't say a word out of order. He worshiped. It was serious to those little kids. Because they believed that Jesus Christ took them very seriously. And I remember being in the, in the, in the, in the Philippines there. And I don't know if there's any Filipino people here. But I remember being in the Philippines there. And I remember I was in Iloilo. In the Visayas region there, you go into the, they call them barangays and the neighborhoods in there. And, and they had the little houses in there. And man, I'm going to tell you, they would have killed for cardboard just to make a little home there. Abject poverty. But they came to church and they sang about the Lord. And they would do discipleship and they would come back and their husbands were getting saved and their wives were getting saved and their kids were getting saved. And we're sitting here in America in the lap of luxury. We don't even know what hunger is. We think hunger is when we haven't eaten for 30 minutes. And these people, I'm telling you, we've got to get to the place where we get back to that cross, start putting our all and our sacrifices on the altar again. And start taking him as serious as he took us. We sing the song, is your all on the altar of sacrifice laid? Your heart does the spirit control. Can only be blessed and perfectly find peace and rest as you yield to your body and soul. It's a place of sacrifice. And here we are in America. We haven't sacrificed much at all. We think we're, we think we're in a bad way right now because we're getting ready to pay $5 a gallon. All of my foreign friends, they laugh at us. I'm talking about they laugh at us when we complain about that. They're already paying $7 an hour, uh, $7 a gallon. And they're thinking, well, welcome, America. And across this world, our brothers and sisters are sacrificing. Some are literally sacrificing their lives. And we can't sacrifice a video game to come to prayer meeting night. We can't sacrifice cartoons to come on a Saturday morning visitation. We can't come because our favorite show is on this week, so we can't come Monday night to the revival. What is wrong with us? We've got to get to the place where we sacrifice again. Some of us, if we sacrifice, some of us spend more on coffee a year than we spend on missions. I wonder why there's no revival, because we're not sacrificing anything. The average person will spend more on dog food this year than they will on getting the gospel to the rest of the world. 
if we're going to be near Jesus and his cross, it's going to take some sacrifice. When's the last time you did without that you might that the work of God might go forward? When's the last time you did sacrifice some sleep for some prayer time? When was the last time you sacrificed a meal when you knew somebody in the church had a burden and you began to fast, maybe just one meal for them, and you began to sacrifice again? I'm telling you, if you want revival, listen to me, my friends, it's going to take some sacrifice. Maybe you ought to sacrifice tomorrow morning and get up 30 minutes early and pray for revival. Maybe it'll take some sacrifice of you. At our church, we have what we call the contract for revival. And there's a list of 10 things that we will do that we pledge to do during revival. It's not required of the church, but we give it as a suggestion to the church. And some of them, it is so difficult for us to give up our television or social media that God might get our attention. You ask the average person to not look at their phone during a church service, and that's asking a lot in some places. I believe there's been no sweeping revival because we don't know what sacrifice is anymore. Now, if we're going to be a part of his cross, my friends, it's going to take some sacrifice. I want you to notice this. It's not only a sacrificial place. It's a serving place. I want you to take a look at this passage here, Scripture again. They come to the cross. And here is mother, Mary, the mother of the Lord Jesus Christ. There stood by the cross, verse 25, of Jesus, his mother, that's Mary, and his mother's sister, and Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. And when he, Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, standing by, the disciple whom he loved, he said unto his mother, woman, behold thy son. And he said to the disciple, behold thy mother. Listen, when Jesus was on the cross, here's what he said. It's not time to pack it up. It's time to start serving. He said, John, I want you to serve. And I'm going to tell you, if you're going to take the cross seriously tonight, it's going to take serving the Lord Jesus Christ. They say in the church, there's 80, the 80-20 rule. Say, what's that? Generally, 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. And to be honest with you, I think it's starting to be 90-10 in a lot of churches. Uh, one one fellow, my, my Bible college chancellor, he said we're getting to the place where the few soul winners in the church are, are considered a frenzy few of foolish followers who fan the flames of fighting filth and fighting hellfire with the Holy Ghost fire of forgiveness, which is a formidable foe to the father of filth. Don't ask me to say that again. <laughs> we just got a few doing the work of God. But if you're going to be near the cross, my friends, if you're going to take it seriously, it's going to take some service. In the day and age in which we live in, here's the mantra of the church. We're just going to come, watch the preacher perform, do a little handshake, give him a little tip on the side, then go out, leave as, come as we are, and we're going to leave as we came. But if we're going to see God work in our generation, it's going to take us getting busy for the Lord. Can I ask you this? If you're supposed to be together as a church, and the Bible says the Lord puts the body together, the church, what's your function in the body? Or Brother Allen, don't you, don't you know I work long hours? Yes, but why is it that some people work long hours and they still work for God and some people make an excuse? Brother Allen, I work third shift, and why is it the other guy in the church that works third shift comes to Sunday night service? Brother Allen, you don't know I have a difficult job. Then why does the man down the pew have a difficult job? And yet he says, you know what? It's important. It's sobering. It's serious. 
and he still serves. Maybe I need revived in my heart that I might serve him with dedication again. There may be some people in this room, there was a time when you served God. And I say, I'm not angry with you tonight. We need co-laborers, though. I'm not mad at you tonight, but listen, there's buses to be ran. There's doors to be knocked on. There's missionaries that got to go to the world. Listen to me. This corridor right here, we were talking about it yesterday. Churches need to be planted, and not everybody can plant a church, but everybody can help those churches. You can help them in finances. You can help them in going slow and door knocking, uh, putting Bibles together. Uh, you can help. Listen, you have a part in serving the Lord. How are you serving him? Evolution teaches us that there's a certain thing called vestigial parts. That's a fancy word that means we don't need it anymore. They believe, they told us, they told me in science class, when I got saved and I went back to school, I headed out with my science teacher because I knew two things. You know what I'm saying? I didn't know much, but I knew two things. God created us. And one time I stood up in class, I said, excuse me, sir. And he was like, oh, Lord. I said, your great-grandmother may have been a monkey, but mine wasn't. And uh, one, one preacher, one old preacher, he said this. He said, some of, my, some of my relatives may have hung from their necks, but none of them hung from their tails. <laughs> but here's what they tell us. Listen, here's what they tell us in science. And they want to seem smart. They tell us that mankind, we used to have a tail. But we lost our tail because we didn't need it anymore. I say, liar, liar, pants on fire. You're telling me I don't need a tail? How many ever had too many grocery bags? And your keys were in the pocket over here? Let's, I, I could have a tail come out and unlock the door. Tell me I don't need a tail. My kids are acting stupid in the back seat. Both hands on the wheel. Smack them right upside the head with my tail. Don't tell me I don't need a tail. No such thing as a vestigial part. And there's no such thing as a vestigial part of the church. If the Lord puts you in the body, that means you have a reason and a function. Where's your function? I don't mean to run a rabbit trail on this, but listen to me tonight. I believe that the door greeters in churches are sometimes more important than the pastor of the church. You may not like it, but it's the reality. Because how many times have you and I visited a church somewhere, nobody greeted us, the people were crude to us in the hallway, and then we got in and we already had an attitude before the preacher ever got up. But what if somebody or a group of somebody said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to be the guy that greets everybody that comes into this church with a smile and a handshake. You know, you nursery workers are sometimes more important than the pastor is. God bless you this morning, whoever was in there. I owe you a dinner. Amen. And uh, how many times have we visited the church? We go into the nursery. It looks like unattended. It looks unkept. And we're like, I'm not putting my kids in there. And it is a blessing when you walk into a church and things are cared for, things are organized and clean. You know what it does? Ah, now I can go in and enjoy the preaching. It seems like an unimportant task. Oh, you don't even know how important it is, your service. We've got to have people that serve. The cross is a serving 
place. And when you get closer to Jesus Christ, you're going to find out there is a work for us to do. He didn't say to the disciples as he left this earth, go ye into all the world, go on a six-month vacation every year, just hang out in the siesta, go out and enjoy the coast, and, and just kick it around a while. He said, no. He said, I want you to go forth and teach all nations, and I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, and I want you to teach them to do all these other things. Because the cross is a place of service. Have you found your function in the body? Not everybody can stand up here and preach. Not everybody, thank God, is in the choir. And some of them, I was like, the Lord's giving you other talents. Not the one to go up there. Do you serve the Lord? What do you do besides take up 12 to more inches of pew? Oh, no, but I don't think the cross is a joke. I don't take it. I'm not sitting here. I'm not shooting dice at the cross. Yeah, but do you take your service for God very seriously? And those of you that are already serving, do you take it serious enough to say, hey, there's men, women, and boys and girls that hang in the balance here. This is serious business. By the way, I was four years old when I heard the gospel the first time. Some of you have no idea. And by the way, that Sunday school teacher, I don't even know who she is, but I am standing here today preaching to you because somebody served God and taught four-year-olds. You have no idea who the Lord could use you to reach if you would just humble yourself and serve. It's a serving place. Watch this. It's a separating place. It's a separating place. Who was there? That disciple whom Jesus loved, who was that? It was John. Uh, where's everybody else? Where's, where's Matthew? Where's, where's Bartholomew? Where's Thomas? Where's Peter? Peter, you got, you're opening your mouth all the time. Where are you at? Philip, you should be on a horse somewhere galloping over here. Where are you at, the lover of horses? Matthew, it's almost tax time. You ought to be showing up somewhere for April 15th. Where are all you other fellas? But there was one. One that stood by the cross. And I say to you, D.L. Moody said this the world has yet to see what God can do with the one young man that has totally surrendered to Him. Listen to me. But the closer you get to that cross, the smaller your crowd's gonna be. I'm just telling you, the cross is not a very popular place. It's a separating place. I learned this. We got, we got I, own, I own a jiu-jitsu gym. So a preacher mentioned a little bit of that. I just bought it earlier this year. And uh, you say, why are you in evangelism? To pay for the gym I just bought him. <laughs> and, uh, bought that gym. We got everything in there. We got, we got atheists. We got Muslim. We got me. We got Hindu. We got people that don't even know what they are. One fellow said to me, uh, the former owner of our gym, he said, he said oh, you, you think you worship somebody different than these guys over here? You think it's a different God? I said, okay. I said, let me, let me, let me say this. If somebody said, I walked up to you and I said, I, I know who Calvin Allen is. They said, oh, I know him too. And one person said, you know, he's a six-foot-five, red-headed Chinese man. 
uh, do you think they know Calvin? Not this one. When we take these other gods and we give the descriptions of them, we do not serve the same God. I love those people at my gym. I'm witnessing to some of them. But we do not worship the same God. And it all comes down to this. What do we do with Jesus and the cross? I talked to one of those young men. He's a Muslim young man. I love him. He's a dear young man to me. Very successful in the jiu-jitsu competitive world. Just won the Pan Ams. And he asked me one day, we were remodeling the gym, and it was just him and I and a couple of the men working there. And he said, what about Jesus? And I said, what about him? He said, do you believe Jesus is dead or alive? And I said, oh, he is alive, and he's alive forevermore. You know what he said to me? He said, I believe that. I'm like, okay. And I said, not only that, he died on the cross for our sins. And then he got real quiet. Because they don't believe Jesus died on the cross. They believed that Judas was made to look like Jesus and that Judas was actually crucified and that Jesus ascended up to heaven. And we believe he ascended into heaven. But what's the difference? The difference was what happened on that cross. And when you start getting into what he did for us on the cross, it starts separating people. It separates us from the Jehovah's Witnesses. It separates us from the Mormons. Because all we need is Jesus Christ and him crucified. I don't have to be a good witness. I don't have to be a good Mormon. I don't have to be a good Lutheran. I don't have to be a good Catholic and get catechized and go through 10 sacraments. I just need what he did on the cross. And what he did on the cross is the greatest difference maker in the history of mankind. And the closer we get to there, the more we start separating. And only one of them remained. Can I say to you, if you are truly seeking revival, you may be the only one in your house. But don't give in and don't give up. Let God use you. Stand by the cross. Even if you have to stand alone, you may have older brothers and sisters that are not standing by the cross. You may have a mom and dad who look like they're standing, but they're truly not standing. You may, mom and dad, have to fight with your kids all week because you're the only one that stands, daddy. Or mama, you're the only one that stands and daddy doesn't stand and the kids don't stand. But can I tell you, somebody's got to be the one that stands by the cross. If there's hope for our generation, there has to be somebody that stands up and says, I'll be that one. And I'm going to tell you, when it comes to a church like ours, I'm going to tell you, many times it just takes one person saying, I want revival. I want God to work in my heart. I want God to move in this church and move in my family and to move in me. And all of a sudden it starts a little fire that can turn into a raging blaze of glory. We'll allow the cross to be a separating place. And I'm going to tell you, not everybody's going to stay at the cross. Sometimes whole churches forsake them. Sometimes entire movements of Christians forsake them. But God needs some people that are going to stay by the cross. Not only that today, I want you to notice this lastly. It's a saving place. It's a saving place. And I'm so grateful that 30, 29 years ago that I came to that old rugged cross. I love that song that says, years I spend in vanity and pride, 
caring not my Lord was crucified, knowing not it was for me he died at Calvary, but mercy there was great and grace was free, and pardon there was multiplied for me, and there my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. Down at the cross where my Savior died, downward from cleansing from sin I cried, there to my heart was the blood applied at Calvary. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. The cross is a saving place. Can I say to you here tonight, your greatest need, if you do not know for sure that if you were to die, you go to heaven, your greatest need tonight is for you to get to the cross. You've got to get to the cross. The Bible, time and time again, tells us the gospel. It said, moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, how that Jesus died according to the scripture, and how he was buried, and how he rose again the third day according to the scripture. He died for us. He shed his blood. The Bible says, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, happened on the cross. When I surveyed the wondrous cross, the, the songwriter put it, on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gains I count but lost and pour contempt on all my pride. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine demands my life, my soul, and my all. I'll never forget, I was preaching at a nursing home. I was in Vermont, right around uh, Burlington, Vermont. I think it was there. To see. I was preaching in Winooski, and I went to a nursing home in Burlington, and there was this lady. She was 93 years old. And I think her name was Lily, if my memory serves me right. And she was obviously in the memory care unit. She could barely remember. Every, every about three minutes, the pastor was rounding up the people, and I was sitting at the piano, and I was just playing a little bit and getting ready to play, and I was going to sing for them. And every, about every three minutes, she would say, Hello, my name is Lily. I'm 93 years old. What's your name? I said, my name is Calvin. Do you have any kids? Yes, I have three boys. Oh, that's wonderful. Three minutes later, hello, my name is Lily. I'm 93 years of age. What's your name? My name is Calvin. Do you have any kids? Time and time again, she would say that again. I started playing on the piano. Out of nowhere, this 93-year-old woman who barely knew if she was in or out of the world began to sing on a hill far away stood an old rugged cross the emblem of suffering and shame and I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain so I'll cherish she sang that whole song I couldn't believe it. I just stopped playing. I just listened to this 93-year-old woman. She began to sing it out. And then she kind of went into her own little zone again. She said, hey, I'm 93 years old. My name is Lily. What's your name? I said, my name's Calvin. Do you have any kids? Yes, I have three boys. I went on to play a little further. And she, out of nowhere, Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war. With the cross of Jesus going on before. I couldn't believe it. 
all of her 93 years, most of it had been forgotten, but she had never forgotten the cross. Can I say to you, sinner friend, if you're here tonight and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, it's time for you to come to the cross. Can I say to you, Christian, tonight, it's time for you and I to get back to the cross and realize it's not a game. Can I share one Bible verse with you and we'll be done? Because I'm getting hungry again. Preacher didn't feed me yet tonight. Matthew chapter 10. I want you to see this verse. Matthew chapter 10, verse 37. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And now listen to this. Here's where you come in. And he that taketh not his what? And followeth after me is not worthy of me. One songwriter put it this way. Must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease while others fought to win the prize and sail through bloody seas? No, I must fight if I have a gain. Increase my courage, Lord. I'll bear the cross, endure the pain, Supported by thy word. One other put it this way. Must Jesus bear the cross alone and all the world go free? No, there's a cross for everyone. And there's a cross for me. And I'm going to tell you, some of us need to get back to that place and pick up our cross again. And follow the Lord. My heart's desire, and I don't know how any of us say it is, We've got to get Christians back to the cross. We've got to get back to that sobering place again. We've got to get back to, listen, man, my heart breaks. Or I, a preacher was telling me about going up in Seattle and to the Space Needle there. And boy, your heart can just break as you look over the city and realize there's little to no gospel there. It's heartbreaking. I remember going to the top of the CN Tower in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. And I remember going up there, and man, it takes forever to get up there. You're going like 60 miles an hour, and it still takes you a minute and a half to get up there. It's unbelievable. I remember looking over that city of Toronto. I remember asking the pastor, how many churches do you think are out there? He just kind of bowed his head. And, I don't even know. And we hear about the city of Milwaukee, 20 people being shot. And listen, I, I, I hate it. I hate crime. I hate everything about it. But I often thought, man, who's going to reach those 20? If any of those 20 die, would they go to hell or heaven? When you and I spend our time complaining about what's going on in the world, Jesus is not looking for complainers. He's looking for people to get back to the cross. See, the cross changed the world. And you taking up your cross could change your world. Young person, it's serious business. It's not a game. Enjoy your life. Have fun. Laugh. Do all those things. But let's get back to the place where we're taking the things of God seriously. May the Lord help us. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed tonight. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. I want you to do a spiritual checkup tonight yourself. 
Can I put it this way? If revival depended on you tonight, would it happen? Would it happen? We're just checking a box here tonight. I've often said, listen, if we're just going to play a game, let me go home. Let me go enjoy my family. Let me go. I'll, listen, I'll go home to my wife. There's things I can do in my house, too. There's businesses I've got to run. If we're just going to play this week, man, let's just pack it in and pack it up. But I'd rather not. I'd rather just go to the cross tonight and say, oh, God, sober us up again. I wonder if you'd pray that tonight. Oh, God, sober me up again. I don't want to look at church as a joke, the things of God as a joke. Maybe you've been in that state for a long time, and it's time to come to an altar tonight and pick up your cross again and say, God, forgive me. Forgive me for taking it lightheartedly. Forgive me for not being serious about my family and my marriage and my kids and work of God and missionaries. Oh, my goodness. We can't play. Missionaries are literally some of them dying on the field. It's not time to play. It's time to pick up our cross. Maybe some of you used to serve God. Why don't you pick up that cross again tonight? Maybe some of you used to be separated to the Lord, but you've allowed what people think about you to keep you from the cross. You've allowed, what's that girl going to think about me? What's that guy? What are my schoolmates? What are my workmates going to? So you just go along with worldliness instead of standing up and standing out for Jesus Christ. Maybe there's some of you tonight that need to be saved. You don't know for sure that if you were to die right now, you'd go to heaven. Can I tell you, Jesus loves you. He loved you so much that he came to an old rugged cross and he paid for your sins. And he purchased your salvation. And what you need to do tonight is come and accept him as your savior. I wonder who here tonight would say, Brother Allen, I'm saved and I know it. I'm saved and I know it. If I die right now, I would go straight to heaven without a shadow of a doubt. If that's you here tonight, would you slip a hand up and say, Brother Allen, that's me. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt I'm saved. I'm saying, listen, it's not a popularity contest. I'm not counting who says it. But thank you for your honesty. I want to say very carefully tonight, you may put your hands down. If you were honestly and could not raise your hand tonight, would you let me pray for you? Would you say, Brother Allen, I don't know for sure if I were to die, I'd go to heaven. But I want to know that. I want to, I want to accept Jesus or the cross that you were talking about. I won't embarrass you. I don't know your name. I won't call your name out. I will say thank you for raising your hand like I did those other people. And I will sincerely pray that God will save you. If you say, Brother Allen, that's me. I need that. I need to accept Jesus, and I haven't ever done that. Could you just pray for me right now? And I'll pray for you right now. Here's my hand, Brother Allen. Would you just pray for me? Would you pray for me? Thank you. Anybody else? Anybody else? Brother Allen, that's me. Could you pray for me? Thank you, young man. Would you pray for me? I need to receive Jesus Christ. Thank you both. I appreciate your honesty. Listen, I'm going to take some time in a minute. I'm going to pray for you. But my prayers cannot save you. Jesus can. If you will understand that you are a sinner, listen, I, I'm a preacher, but I fall short. I'm not perfect. Don't, don't ever think that about a preacher. We're not perfect. We're sinners. The only difference is there was a time in our life where we knew we were a sinner. We knew we were on our way to hell. We heard that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and purchased our salvation, and we put our faith and trust in him alone to save us. When I was an 11-year-old boy, I called on the name of the Lord. The Bible says, if, thou, if you will call upon the name of the Lord, he'll save you tonight. You say, what's that? That's like a lifeguard. If you were drowning and you were out there, I'd take you and I'd say, man, as long as you cry out for help, hey, save me. 
By calling on them, you believe that they can save you and you believe that they want to save you. Can I tell you tonight, Jesus wants to save you. If you believe that he can, and you'll trust him tonight, he'll save you. Christians, others have already come. We're going to have a time of invitation in a moment here. Maybe you need to do some business with the Lord. You just mind the Lord tonight. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness. Lord, I pray for those three that have already raised their hand tonight. And Lord, I pray that you would draw them to yourself and draw them to the old rugged cross. Help them understand it's not their goodness that will save them. It's not their righteousness. It's not getting baptized. It's not going to church. It's not being a preacher. All those things are wonderful. But none of them died on the cross. Only Jesus. And that's what they need tonight. Lord, I pray that they would open their hearts even tonight to the Lord Jesus Christ and trust him and him alone to save them.